You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. So the Bible tells us truth about our world and it's not always easy to hear. But if we humbly listen, the truth can set us free. So hear God's word this morning uh, from four passages today. And it will be Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, chapter 18, verse 24, chapter 27, verse 6, and verses 9 to 10. So first, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Chapter 27, verse 6. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Verses 9 to 10. Oil in incense brings joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Don't abandon your friend or your father's friend, and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. As Kevin said, we're currently going through, going through a series where we look at what the Bible has to say about big issues in our lives. Now, sometimes it is easy to think that Christianity is all about uh, being saved for heaven, but Christians don't really do much in this world. We just kind of sit here and wait. Uh, the world is really just God's waiting room, but it's not. Uh, we want to see how being a Christian actually makes a profound difference uh, to our lives. Last week, we saw the difference that knowing Jesus makes to how we see success in our world. And today, we want to see the difference that Jesus makes to our friendships in life. So, let me, let me ask, what would you say is the most important relationship in life? Put, put God out of mind for one moment. What would you say is the most important human relationship in life? Uh, most people, I'm guessing, would say uh, marriage or, or children or family, but how many of you would say friendship? It's a bit lame. Let, let, let me uh, read you two quotes from Christians uh, in the past, and let me, you, you might be surprised at what they have to say. Rewind all the way back to the 4th century, the church father Augustine wrote this, quote, two things are essential in this world, life and friendship. Both must be highly prized and not undervalued. They are nature's gifts. We were created by God that we might live. But if we are not to live solitarily, we must have friendship. It's a pretty strong statement, must. That's, that's an imperative. Fast forward to the 19th century. Bishop J.C. Ryle writes this, the world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. 
It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. It's beautiful. But it's a strong claim, isn't it, that that friendship is the most important relationship in life. I want you to know, though, that it's not just Christians making that claim. Uh, A.C. Grayling is a contemporary atheist philosopher, and this is what he says. He agrees. He writes, the highest and finest of all human relationships is arguably friendship. And so whether or not you're a Christian, you can look at it and go, wow, it's almost as if God has hardwired us for this most essential relationship. Here's a terrifying study. Studies show that loneliness is as dangerous to our health as smoking a pack of 15 cigarettes a day. But the cure to loneliness isn't marriage per se. In fact, rather sadly, some of the loneliest people I know are married men. No, the cure to loneliness, God says, is friendship. Now, let me tell you why that's actually great news. Because it means that not everyone needs or has a spouse, but it means that everyone needs and can have a friend. But, but how? Like, how can I have a lasting friendship? It, it is actually, you may be surprised, one of the questions I get asked most of all. Not about marriage, not about dating, about, about friendship. And I, I want to say that there's actually no better place to look than the book of Proverbs, which Uncle Alfred read from just before. There's a Scottish preacher. His name's Hugh Black. I love what he writes about Proverbs. He says this, There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. So here's what I want to do today. Today I want to, I want to look at Proverbs and I want to offer five rules for lasting friendships. Five rules for lasting friendships. And here's my challenge as we go through these rules. Ask yourself, not do I have these sorts of friends? Good question though that is. Maybe ask yourself, Am I this sort of friend to others? Rule one, go deep with a few. Go deep with a few. Look at Proverbs 18.24. Read it carefully. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Think about that for a moment. The many can be meaningless, but the one can be more meaningful than the many. Partly because, I don't know if you've realized this, we're not God. We're all finite. We're limited human beings. It's, it's actually simply not possible. There aren't enough hours in a day for us to have that many friends. But we try, don't we? Because what happens, right? We, we enter a social group, a workplace, even a church, and we expect to be friends with everyone. There's almost this kind of... um. Uh, romanticized sense that we can be friends with everyone, and somehow, somewhere, a, an, an expectation that we should be friends with everyone. In fact, I want to say on behalf of Christians, churches are probably where that happens more than anywhere else. Because we read in the Bible that we're called to love one another, and we think, oh, we have to love one another. I guess that means I've got to be close with absolutely everyone at church, but, but look around. There, there aren't enough hours in the day. <laughs> And I think what we end up doing is we end up baptizing our unrealistic expectations of friendship. That said, can I say, church is one of the best places, if not the best place, for friendships to naturally emerge. It's like the garden bed within within which friendships can just naturally sprout and emerge. 
but, but we shouldn't come in with the expectation here or anywhere else in life that we can be friends with that many people. What do they say? A friend to all is a friend of none. Because we need to accept the fact that God created us as limited, finite human beings. So the great question then is, what should my expectation be? Well, they say that most people can have about 500 acquaintances. People who you recognize, you have a one-off interaction with. But you can really only have 20 to 100 casual friends. People who you regularly meet at work or church. And when it comes to our close friends, those, those people whom we talk to frequently, those people who are a core part of our lives, the number drops to a maximum of just 20. But then, if you're talking about intimate friends, those people dear to us, those people to whom we open our hearts, our lives, our, our fears, our insecurities and our vulnerabilities, most people can only have between one or six. Though, can I say... Um, in my experience talking with many people at church and out of church, of that category, of the intimate friends, most people struggle to have even one or two. But it's that intimate friendship that most of us long for, isn't it? Uh, frustration is the result of unmet expectations. And if I expect or think that I can have a lot of close and intimate friends, my expectations are going to be unmet and I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to stretch myself so thin that I won't be a good friend to any one of them at all. And the inverse is true. I'll feel like no one's being a good friend to me. Not because they don't want to, but because they can't. Not with that many friends. You see, God didn't create us to have friendships that are a thousand miles wide, but only an inch deep. He created us to go deep with a few. Now, now, let me be clear what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you should ignore everyone else. It doesn't mean your attitude should be, well, you know, if you're my friend, I'll die for you. If you're not my friend, you're dead to me. No, no, we should be friendly to all people, but, but that's, being friendly is different from being that close, intimate friend. And it starts with accepting our finitude, our limitations, our, our createdness, do you see, friends, our finitude and our limitation is not a defect, it's a design. It reminds us that we are not God. God alone can have a loving relationship with all people super intimately, but, but the way in which we've been created means that we're limited, and that's a, that's a good thing. It's a humbling reality. A few months ago, uh, I was having dinner at one of my friend's places, and he, he looked up at me and he said, so who would be your top 10 friends? And I was like, oh, such a high school question. Why would you ask that? But I actually thought it was a really helpful question because it forced me to articulate and name those people to whom I would open up my life. So who would you open your heart up to? Who would, you, who would you really, really trust with your fears and insecurities? Don't cheat. If you're married, you can't mention your spouse. Who else is your true friend? Think about them. Name them in the quietness of your heart. And then commit to go deep with them. 
Invest in their lives, know their families, open up your home, give them time. And Proverbs 18.24 says, they will be closer to you than a brother or sister. Can you see the truth that Proverbs is saying? Rule number one, the many can be meaningless, but the few are far more meaningful than the many. Don't, Don't be so foolish or naive to try and be friends with everyone. It will only lead to disappointment. If not for you, then definitely for them. Rule number one, go deep with a few. Rule number two, bring out their best. Bring out their best. Proverbs 13, 20, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. There's a truth, you are only as wise as the counselor you keep. If you're a friend of fools, you become a fool. And if you're a friend of the wise, well, guess what you'll become? You'll become wise. We become the people we befriend. We become the people we befriend. So we need friends to bring out the best in us, but actually maybe more saliently, we need to be friends who bring out the best in others. And yet when I look at a lot of friendships, too often we bring out the worst in each other. Proverbs 16, 29, what does it say? A violent person lures his neighbor, leading him on a path that is not good. Or Proverbs 22, 24 to 25, don't make friends with an angry person. Don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You see, friends, it is possible for the closest of friends to influence each other in the worst of ways. I think we've all been there at some level, haven't we? (laughs) I want you to notice what Proverbs isn't saying, though. It's not saying that you should only be friends with people who make you successful, driven, or rich. It it doesn't say you should cut off your friends who are relational dead weight loss. The focus isn't on being successful, driven, or rich. It's on being good, godly. It's on being like Jesus. Uh, One of my friends often prays this prayer. Dear God, bring people into my life who will help my faith and keep people out of my life who will hinder my faith. It's a great prayer, isn't it? If you want to have lasting friendships, then bring out the best in your friends. Then draw out their holiness, draw out their godliness, draw out their Christ-likeness. Be a friend who will help with their faith. I'll give you some examples. If you know that your friend struggles with body image, what is it that you say to them? If you jokingly criticize how they look, what will happen? They'll be crushed and they'll continually fixate on their image. But then if you flatter and compliment how they look, here's the the catch-22, they'll be affirmed and continue to fixate on their image all the more. So we think, okay, my friend has body image issues. Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, that's great. You see, whether we compliment or criticize, we're still making them focus on seeing themselves in a particular way. No, no, if your friend struggles with body image, maybe the better thing to do is to remind them to see themselves as God sees them, created in his image, with the beauty of a godly character. Or, if you have friends who get together and love to gossip, Do you feed their ungodly desire for more or out of love 
do you starve their appetite for sin? You see, if you want to have lasting friendships, then you need to bring out the best in your friends. And that also means refusing to entertain the worst. And some months ago, someone said to me, Adam, what do I do? My, my, my friend, they're just, they're just making awful decisions. I, I want to try to help them. I want to make them better. I want to bring out their best self. I tried to help him, but he said, look, mate, just back off, okay? Like, if you're my friend, you won't try to change me. You'll accept me just as I am. What do I do? I can't remember what I said, but I know what I thought. I thought to myself, well, mate, actually, your friend's not asking for true friendship. <laughs> because true friends don't allow each other to go down paths that are not good. True friends don't allow each other's worst selves to take over. True friends bring out the best, the holiest, the godliness, the most Christ-like parts of ourselves. Rule number one, go deep with a few. Rule number two, bring out their best. Oh gosh, I love rule number three. Stab him in the front. Proverbs 27 verses five to six. Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. It's, it's a great one, isn't it? If you want to know if someone's really your friend, ask yourself, would you be willing to wound them in love? In love, right? If you're just willing to wound them, that doesn't mean they're your friend. <laughs> too, too many of us claim to be friends with someone, but when we see them make bad life decisions, hurt other people, turn their backs on God, what do we do? We sit there. And we do nothing. Oh, someone should really talk to them. You know what? I'll talk to Adam. I don't... <laughs> and we make all sorts of excuses as to why we won't talk to them. Oh, Adam, you don't understand. They already know what I think. They're really sensitive to feedback. Do you know what their Myers-Briggs type is? It'll be really bad. They're just the word INFJs can't stand them. You know, like if I, if I tell them, they'll just oh. So we never have a hard conversation with the person we call our friend or profess to love. And here's the worst part, right? We then shower them with kisses, Proverbs says. We say things like, I'm here for you. I'm in your corner. We become expert wordsmiths, right? We say just enough to let them know we're their friend, but not enough to let them know they've got a problem. Friends, those are Judas kisses that betray a friend. If we are not willing to wound our friend in love, they are as real a friend to us as a plastic side of Regina George. Right? Proverbs 29.5, a person who flatters his friend spreads a net for his feet. If you see your friend walking into sin and you're like, someone should help them. You're setting them up for a fall. Here's the worst part. You know, you sort of, that's the word. You see your friend making a bad life decision. You say nothing. Then you say something. You say something unhelpful. And then what you do say when you really believe it is you tell everyone else about it. You see, we'll tell a hundred other people about our friend's sin, but the one person we'll never talk to is our friend themselves. Proverbs 17, 9 warns, whoever gossips about an offense separates friends. To put it gently, a true friend stabs you in the front, he doesn't knife you in the back. Now, let me be clear what this means. 
or what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, oh, Adam, if I wound someone in love, I am their friend. I will now go and show someone I'm their friend. Don't do that. Uh, if, you, if you go up to someone who's not really your friend, and I'm like, if I stab them, then they'll love me, that's toxic and very unhelpful. No, the rule is this. If they are your friend, you will be willing to wound them in love. A few months ago, uh, one of my friends saw that I was making a series of decisions that, that wasn't good, and if it continued on its path, it would be pretty bad. So he invited me over to his place, sat me down, poured me a drink, stabbed me in the front. <laughs> it's a mother of all fights. You know, I drove home that 3 a.m. I drove home, and it was the strangest feeling. Never felt so angry. Never felt so loved. But he was willing to say what few other people were willing to say, and he showed me what it meant to be a real friend. You see, friends, real friends fight with each other, and real friends fight for each other. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. It's not a fun experience. It's a painful experience, but actually, as we do that, we're bringing out the best in each other. We... That friend loved me too much to allow me to be my worst self. Rule number one, go deep with a few. Rule number two, bring out their best. Rule number three, stab them in the front. Rule number four, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity or a difficult time. Proverbs 27.10, don't abandon your friend or your father's friend and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a friend nearby than a brother far away. Now just think about, look at that, just think about how remarkable those proverbs are for a moment. Into an ancient Near East culture where family was everything, they're saying a true friend is closer than a blood relative. A true friend is closer than a blood relative. Proverbs 27.10 says, when you write down the name of your emergency contact, don't just choose a family member assuming that they'll come. You're better off writing the name of a friend who you know will come. A friend who's closer to you than blood. Proverbs 17.17 says, your family will be there when times are hard, but a true friend will be there at every time. If you're on a lasting friendship, don't be a fair-weather friend. Be a friend for all seasons. Be a friend closer than blood. Be a friend who never walks away. Now, that's, that's awkward, isn't it? And if you've been around church for a while, you might read that and go, oh, really? I, I would have thought the Bible would say something different. I almost expect the Bible to say that, that our family is the most enduring set of relationships in life. I mean, look at Genesis 2. Didn't God give Eve to be Adam's wife? Doesn't that itself make marriage the most enduring relationship between two people? But Adam's problem wasn't his singleness. It was his aloneness. There's a difference there. Yes, God did create Eve to be Adam's wife, but that's secondary. The primary reality is that God created Eve to be his companion, to be his friend. 
And notice even then that one relationship, that one marriage was not enough because through that first relationship, what did God do? He created all of humanity to be a world of friendship. I love what Danny Trewick writes here. She writes this about Genesis 2. The first human being didn't simply need a spouse. He needed other people. The creator's solution was to make Adam not only into a husband, but also into a father, a grandfather, a family member, a neighbor, a work colleague, and a friend. You see, friends, for Adam, marriage wasn't enough. Eve wasn't enough. He probably didn't tell her that, but she wasn't enough. He needed friends as much as family, friends as close as family, friends closer than blood. So can I offer, if you're married, your spouse needs friends who aren't you. Because you alone cannot bear the full weight of their relational needs, however much you might want to. You you actually need to release them to be friends with other people, both men and women, because your marriage cannot bear the full weight of every relational load. Family matters, but, but friendship matters just as much. Maybe the Bible might say, if not more. Because families are an intense form of friendship, as it were, but not the totality of it. Friendship is like that bigger relational category where our deepest relational needs are met. You'll hear many people say, and we all might be guilty of saying this at some point, um, you can't rely on your friends, you can only rely on your family. Proverbs 27 awkwardly says, not true. Your family are committed to you in a way that's different, just as good as, but different from the ways in which your friends are committed to you. Your family is committed to you because they have to be, in in a right way. Your friends are committed to you because they choose to be. Your spouse is rightly committed to you because he or she made a promise on that one day when you were married. Your friends are committed to you because they make a new promise every day. You see, they don't have to. They choose to. That's the genius of it. Friendship is the daily decision to commit to another person in love. You see, friends, at its best, friendship is covenantal, just like marriage, but it's different because it's a covenant that's made and renewed every morning. True friends don't walk away. True friends make that daily promise, I am still here. Now, let me be clear, there are going to be in your life from time to time some friendships, so-called, that are so toxic, unhelpful, harmful, that bring out the worst in you, that when you look at this, it's really hard to call them a friendship. And those are contexts where I want to say you, you may actually want to take a step back from, where you wake up in the morning and you go, actually, this friendship is not a genuine friendship because it's actually harming me and I'm harming them. So if that's the case, that's not a friendship, you need to step away from that. But can I offer, if someone is your true friend, then fight for them and don't walk away. Charles Spurgeon writes this, When thou hast found such a man and proved the sincerity of his friendship, when he has been faithful to thee, grapple him to thyself with hooks of steel and never let him go. That's not a BJJ move. That's just a genuine non-physical, relational imperative. 
Rule number one, go deep with a few. Number two, bring out their best. Number three, stab them in the front. Rule number four, don't walk away. And interestingly, here's almost, I think, the most important one. Rule number five, don't demand their love. Don't demand their love. I'm going to show you two of my favorite, awkward, confusing parables. Proverbs, as it were. 27.14, if one blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. Proverbs 25.17, seldom set foot in your friend's house, otherwise he'll get sick of you and hate you. Some of you are feeling mildly rebuked right now, and some of you are going, oh gosh, thank God, someone now can finally tell them. Now let me tell you what these Proverbs are not saying. They're not saying when it's early in the morning, don't speak with too loud a voice. They're not saying, for once in your life, please leave Joseph alone to get out of his apartment. I would be guilty on both counts, right? Like, let's face it, right? Proverbs 27, 14 is saying this. You could be a blessing to your friend, right? You may be saying beautiful things, wise things, good things, godly things, but if you're doing that too early in the morning, in the wrong context, at the wrong time, you're actually overstepping the relationship. Proverbs 25, 17, if you're always at your friend's place, you're never giving them any space, you're not only overstepping the relationship, you're actually demanding too much. You see, in both Proverbs, this person is insisting on a friendship that oversteps the mark. So I want to say here, here's the great risk, right? As we've heard these so, so far four and a half rules of lasting friendships is that we then take them and make them an expectation or entitlement. We sit there and think to ourselves, oh, finally, thank God Adam's saying it. Why aren't my friends doing this for me? Why don't they go deep with a few? And by a few, I mean me. Why won't they bring up my best, which is just, let's face it, my sin? Um, why won't they fight for me? Which, why won't they fight for me even though I keep fighting with them? There's, figure that one out. Uh, why won't they stick with me even though I'm so difficult? <laughs> and the risk is that we then take these rules and use them as a sword to, to punish other people for being bad friends to us. Where we use them as a benchmark by which we measure not ourselves but measure others and then we come to them with a demand for love. And Proverbs would caution us, if you, if you demand the love of your friends, you're, you're like that person who blesses them but too early in the morning. You're like the genuine friend, but who, the one who never leaves them alone. So can I say, if you demand their love, you will suffocate your friends. <laughs> It'll be like holding a priceless ornament in the palm of your hand, but out of Fear and terror of losing it, you clench your fist and crush the friendship you so desperately cherish. You see, if you demand the love of your friends, the desire for that love will consume you like that ring-consumed golem. And it wasn't pretty. You'll forever be dissatisfied because the love of every friend will never quite be enough. You see, if you want to have a lasting friendship, don't demand their love. Offer yours freely. Hugh Black writes this, We have few friendships because we are not willing to pay the price of friendship. The secret of friendship is just the secret of all spiritual blessing. The way to get is to give. Isn't that beautiful? 
The way to get is to give. But be careful. You must not give in order to get. Right? If I give friendship with the expectation of, of, of mutual equivalent reciprocity, I'm simply being a mercenary who trades friendship like a commodity and, and penalizes a merchant who will not pay me back. Rule number one, go deep with a few. Rule number two, bring out their best. Rule number three, stab them in the front. Rule number four, don't walk away. Rule number five, don't demand their love. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Because maybe I won't demand someone's friendship, but I'm going to take a guess. That all of us know that sense and feeling of disappointment, don't we? Of investing and sinking time into a friendship only to have it not reciprocated. Of, of loving a friend this much, only for them to love us back that much. And that's painful. You see, in the end, we demand what we do not have. If we had that truest friendship, we'd never demand it. We'd never be disappointed. But that, that brutal, harsh reality that all of our relationships, all of our friendships are a mixture of disappointment and demand shows us something, doesn't it? It shows us that no human being can ever be the true and perfect friend. As long as we keep looking for that friend in another fallible person, our lives will always be that mixture of disappointment and demand. Which is why I want to offer you the sixth and most important rule of all. Realize the friend you have in Jesus. Realize the friend you have in Him. Look at John 15, 21, what Jesus says to us, what Jesus says to you. This is my command, love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. Isn't that remarkable? That Jesus, the Son of God, the, the Savior of the world, the, the King of heaven and earth, would come and call you his friend. It's not quite what you'd expect, is it? You'd almost expect him to say, no one has greater love than this, than to lay down his life for his wife. But instead, he says, to lay down his life for his friends. And that means that whether you're married or single, you can have the greatest love this world has ever known. Not the love of a marriage, but the love of a friendship. You see, friends, there is no greater love than to be a friend of Jesus. And he proved how much he loves us by laying down his life for us. He proved how much he loves you by dying in your place to transform you from being his enemy to now being his friend. Jesus is that one friend closer than blood. He made us his friends by shedding his blood. Do you, do you realize that, that with Jesus, all those five rules before they all change? Because those five rules of friendship are all contingent on one reality. All of us are fallible and broken people. 
Those five rules all depend and are all there because we are broken and fallible people. Just think about it. Why do we go deep with a few? Because we're finite, limited creatures. We can't have a relationship with that many people. Rules don't apply for Jesus. He's the king and the savior of the world who came to love the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world. He's not constrained by us in the same way that we are constrained by ourselves. Why do we have to bring out the best in each other? Because our hearts are so much a mixture of the good and the bad, the best and the worst. But Jesus was all best and no worst, and yet the best in Jesus came to be a friend of the worst of sinners. Isn't that remarkable? Why do we need to stab each other in the front? Because we're stupid, let's face it. Me most of all, right? We, we, make, we make mistakes. We sin. We, we, we hurt other people. Jesus never hurt anyone. In fact, he won't stab us in the front. He was crucified for us. He took the wounds for us, even though we were the ones who deserved it, and he didn't. Rule number four, why shouldn't we walk away? Well, let's face it. So many of our relationships are so uncommitted to each other. Our promises are cheap. Our words mean nothing and we walk away at the drop of a hat. But God made a promise from the beginning of time and a promise that he kept in Jesus that he will never walk away from us in love. And the rule is don't demand their love. But here's the beauty of Jesus. Not only does he offer his love, he is the one person who truly deserves our love. You see, To put it slightly hyperbolically, if you trust in Jesus, he has made it okay for you to demand his love. And you can come to him and ask for more love and more friendship, and there is more friendship in Christ than our desires will ever be able to match. Keep coming to him. In him, you will find an inexhaustible store of friendship and love. Let me tell you why that's so amazing. Firstly, If we realize the friend we have in Jesus, we will never be disappointed by anyone else. We won't be crushed by our friends who don't reciprocate our love as much as we want. Because what we truly want, we know they cannot give. But it's okay. Because what they cannot give, we already have in Jesus. So in the loneliest of nights, we are never truly alone. In the most friendless of seasons, we are never without our truest friend who is closer than blood. Secondly, if we realize the friend we have in Jesus, do you see it frees us to be the best friend that we can be to others? Because we'll be freer to love our friends without expectation or entitlement. We'll never need to love them. We'll never need to give with the expectation of getting. We'll never need to demand their love for the love we so desperately desire, we already have. We have it in Jesus. Rule number one, go deep with a few. Rule number two, bring out their best. Rule number three, stab them in the front. Rule number four, don't walk away. Rule number five, Don't demand their love. But more than any other rule, realize 
the friend you have in Jesus. And if you do, brothers and sisters, you will have the one friendship that will last forever. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us your friend. That even though we were once your enemy, even though once we deserved nothing but to be cut off and rejected by you, you loved us enough when we didn't deserve it. You came from heaven to earth. You lived as one of us. You died for us. You suffered the most horrific of deaths, all so that we might be friends with you. And so for any of us, God, who don't call you our friend, we pray that we might see how much that all our needs and all our desires for the deepest of friendships and relationships are found in you and you alone. Thank you, Jesus, for being the friend, not only that no one else can be, but thank you, God, for being the friend that you are, the friend who died for us, who lays his life down for us as well. These things we pray in your name. Amen.